You are listening to Ayahuasca Talks on Radio Regent in lovely downtown Toronto, and I'm your host, Rebecca Hayden. Please visit us at radioregent.com and join our live chat, or connect with me at rebeccahayden.com. Hello there. Uh, We have a guest today, Michael Sanders. Hello, Michael Sanders. Are you there? Hey, Rebecca, how are you? Good, thanks. Um, Michael Sanders has written a book called Ayahuasca, an, executive, uh, in, sorry, an Executive's Enlightenment, and he's also a partner in a clean energy company called Sun Moon Energy. So, Michael, um, what I often do at the beginning of a show is I ask um, our guests to describe what ayahuasca is to the audience. Um, I'm sure they've received many descriptions, but um, I'm wondering if you'd be willing to give it a shot. So, Okay, so you just want me to describe what ayahuasca is for perhaps those who don't know? Yeah, exactly, but, you know, no pressure. Everybody pretty much knows what it is. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, I mean, ayahuasca is a plant medicine that grows in the Amazon rainforest. It's a vine, and the shamans of Peru have been using it for millennia to treat anything ranging from cancer to depression to provide um, spiritual exploration and for divinatory purposes. And um, it's an incredibly powerful and intelligent plant medicine that oftentimes gives people exactly what they need, even when that individual doesn't necessarily know what he or she is looking for. Wow, that's a great intro. Um, So... Uh, let's hear about what brought you to plant medicines and what your experiences were like. Sure, yeah. So, I mean, my introduction to plant medicines in general began when I was fairly young, when I was 16 years old, and um, being introduced to psilocybin magic mushrooms. Um, at that time, it wasn't necessarily as intentional of an experience, so it was a really special and profound one that revealed to me the interconnectivity of all things. And um, so throughout, um, you know, ages 16 to 26, I dabbled in various uh, psychedelics. I tried LSD, MDMA, um, a few others, all of which showed me um, incredibly profound lessons. You know, like MDMA was instrumental in really opening up my heart and helping me understand that, you know, everyone in this world wants love and that there's no, there's no reason to really hold back from expressing the love you feel Mm -hmm. from someone or for someone. Um, and, but again, I would say that uh, these, the use of these medicines and psychedelics wasn't as, um, intentional. And, um, it it wasn't until I discovered ayahuasca that I really, uh, started going in that route of considering them more as medicines as opposed to just, let's say, recreational experiences or drugs. And, um, what, what brought me to ayahuasca is that actually I first heard of ayahuasca, um, on a Joe Rogan and Aubrey Marcus podcast back in 2012. And Aubrey was talking about its healing properties that, it gave him this out-of-body perspective during which he was able to heal um, swollen glands that he had suffered from throughout his entire adult life without any understanding of, of why. And, um, and then the ayahuasca showed him that they were related, I think, to some childhood trauma that he was then able to go in and sort of process and heal 
And then when he was sharing his story on the Joe Rogan podcast, he expressed how it had now been a year since that initial ayahuasca ceremony and he hadn't had any inflammation of the glands. And, um, you know, beyond that, he was talking about communicating with um, different spirits and beings and time traveling and having all of these miraculous scenarios. And right then I knew, okay, at some point I'm going to drink this strange psychedelic brew from the Amazon. (laughs) I'm just not entirely sure when that will be. And um, it was, so fast forward to the start of 2013 and I was uh, 25 or 26 years old at the time and I was going through some really extreme fatigue and uh, darkness. I was working as the vice president of an advertising agency. I was the co-founder of a startup in the gaming industry, and I was training athletically and intensely about 10 or 14 times each week. I was never resting, never relaxing, never meditating or doing yoga. I was always just go, 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 you know. I was trying to service my clients with these advertising strategies and attain financial freedom. And I was also trying to achieve a one-arm handstand, a one-arm chin-up, and a 400-pound squat. Um, (laughs) Trying to do all these things at the same time, you know, which in hindsight makes me laugh at how crazy doing all that was. But what's interesting is at the time, I became so exhausted that I would sleep you know, 10 to 12 hours each night. And when my alarm clock would sound in the morning, I felt as though the universe was playing some sick joke on me because (laughs) it had seemed as though I just closed my eyes and I didn't feel a slight bit rested. And, um, you know, I was going into my ad agency. I wouldn't arrive into the office until noon and I would leave at 3.30 in the afternoon because I'd be so tired. And the only thing that would make me feel any sort of energy or alive again would be to work out again. And so, you know, I'm, I'm a huge lover of movement. It's, it's a big part of my life, um, whether that's through dance or hand balancing, gymnastics, strength training, various sports like snowboarding, basketball, or yoga. Um, but at that time in my life, something that I had sort of, you know, loved had turned into a, an obsession, and then I think it was bordering on addiction. And um, I, I really think all of these, uh, you know, my, my physical symptoms were the result of my soul crying out to me and saying like, Hey, like, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing this to me? Mm-hmm. And, um, the breaking point was really, uh, one, um, Saturday in February of 2013 when I went to the gym to, you know, I had planned to lift this particular weight, uh, 25 times and I couldn't lift it even once. I, I felt so weak. And then that night I was, making love with a beautiful woman and I couldn't maintain an erection. So here I was at 25 or 26 years old and I had pretty much lost my libido, which is a horrible, horrible experience. And especially for someone of, uh, you know, that age. And so it was was then that I, you know, I kind of snapped out of my denial and I realized, okay, I need some help. I need to address these issues. I need to change something. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, so at that time, I started consulting with a natural path. Uh, his name's Love Deep, um, amazing name. And um, he, he really got me to focus on play. Um, so to be less regimented with my daily routines and all of, you know, the things I love, like movement, and to really just, you know, rekindle my passion for why I had fallen in love with certain things in the first place. So he encouraged me to just dance more and to, you know, try new forms of movement and to not be so goal oriented with them all and to just have fun with them. And, uh, 
beyond that, he also um, we also developed a daily meditation practice, which I've you know I've now been doing for four and a half years. I, I meditate daily, and largely life as life as a whole has become more of a you know a meditation largely. Um, but so one of the things that Love Deep and I worked on was just trying to improve my well-being step by step. So not needing to overcome my fatigue all at once, but to simply feel a little bit better today than I did yesterday. And then that would indicate that I was on uh, the correct path. And um, so actually about four months after, five months after meeting with him for the first time, I began feeling like myself again, um, which was a great thing because I'd actually resolved in that February that if I couldn't start feeling like myself again, I was going to put a bullet in my brain because the way I was feeling just wasn't a life worth living. Um, though I did give myself a two-year timeline. To, uh, <laughs> oh my goodness, you even organized this, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're I'm regimenting like, your suicide. <laughs> to- totally, yeah. I'm like, if in two years I still feel this shitty, like, let's just end it because clearly I, it's not working. Um, <laughs> oh but okay, but I wasn't uh, like I wasn't willing to throw in the towel just yet, you know. So that's why I went on this. I, I sought out this healing journey, and then it was. Um, I went to Burning Man for the first time in August of 2013, and, you know, that experience in and of itself certainly warrants its own book, Um, but just in a nutshell, it really, um, you know, it it showed me a vibration of love. The, The moment I arrived, I felt as though I had arrived home, to a home that I had always been seeking without consciously knowing that it was what I was looking for because I had no frame of reference for knowing that a place like this could exist. But where was this? It, at Burning Man. And where was Burning Man? Where is Burning Man taking oh, place at this? Yeah, point? so Burning Man takes place in uh, Black Rock Desert, which is in Nevada. Okay. Um, so it's about uh, three hour, two hours from Reno. It's okay. the closest major city, and uh, it's a festival that exists in the desert for eight weeks of the year. And some of the principles are like radical self-reliance and radical inclusion and immediacy and participation and leave no trace. So, you know, there's 70,000 people at a magical festival with the most elaborate art installations you will ever see, like multi-million dollar structures that people build that are stunningly beautiful and will transform you just by being in their presence. And yet people build these without expectation of anything in return. They don't even necessarily seek acknowledgement. Like you'll oftentimes not even see the designer or artist's name on the piece Mm -hmm. because they're simply done purely from a a place of gifting. And Burning Man relies on a gifting economy. So to give without any expectation of anything in return, it's not bartering. It's just simply gifting. And, you know, the gift that you might bring to Burning Man could be anything. It could be a book you've written or jewelry you've made, or it could be a psychedelic substance, or it could be a hug or a smile, or perhaps you've collaborated with a group of people and have built a a $5 million fire-breathing dragon that's 70 (laughs) feet long and shoots fire to the rhythm of the bass dropping from an elaborate sound system that seems as though it was tuned in heaven, and then there's a euphoric laser system that bathes everyone nearby dancing with a sense of bliss that they previously didn't know was possible (laughs) and you know whether it's whether you want like let's say a a piece of sushi and a frozen coconut or you want a kiss from uh, a beautiful person or you want to find your soulmate or a long-lost friend or you want to have the greatest dancing experience of your life 
or you want a massage or to do acro yoga or to go roller skating in the middle of the desert or to fly on trapeze rings and gymnastics rings while you're in the desert. Like whatever you want, you will find it and you'll likely find it instantaneously. And um, the power of manifestation out there becomes so apparent. And, you know, there are 70,000 people there all co-creating this experience, all of whom are having these transformative experiences and everyone's communicating on this topic wavelength because no one's connected to their phones or internet. And it's just a, it's an incredibly special place that really allows you to sort of forget any of the conditioning that you've um, accumulated over the years and just reconnect with your essence in a, a playground where everybody is totally accepting and where each and every person is trying to enhance one another's experience. So and, tell you know, me something. Did you, had sure. you, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I'm just wondering, had you already planned to um, go to Burning Man or was this a decision that was made after you had uh, you had started to focus on your well-being and then this kind of came into the picture? Uh, well, Burning Man had been on my radar for probably three years okay. um, prior to going. Like, I, I, I'd seen pictures and I had had some friends tell me about the experience and I had some particular friends who when I sat with them and I saw the look in their eyes, I recognized that they were speaking of something that I had not experienced and that words could only do so much justice to. I could feel it from them that they were speaking of one of the true gifts that exists on planet Earth. Mm -hmm. And so I knew when speaking with them that I, I had to go, that I was being called there. Um, and it, it just took me, you know, a little time to coordinated and truly commit. It's not as though I was avoiding it. It was just, you know, uh, the, the, the just timing happened to align in, in 2013. And, and I largely think it was associated with the fact that I was dis like rediscovering play. Okay. Um, I'm going to, sorry, and, I'm going to have to interrupt you just for a moment because we sure. do have to play an ad and then we'll come back and, and talk about the experience that you had and, and what led up to that too. Okay. Just a moment. Perfect. Please. African Musical Extravaganza 2017. On Saturday, August 5th, 2017, IGBO Traditional and Cultural Revival Foundation is bringing the second annual African Musical Extravaganza. Taking place at Mel Aspid Square in North York from noon to 11 p.m., African Musical Extravaganza 2017 will feature live performances by Kim Wheatley, Slim Flex, Nicole Abifuna, Prince Bami Del Bajoa, MC Bondi, Black Oblaz and his Okiki band. The day will also feature an African fashion show, food, dance, and prizes. Join us for African Musical Extravaganza 2017 on Saturday, August 5th at Mel Lastman Square in North York from noon to 11 p.m. All are welcome. Okay, great. We're back. One thing I wanted okay. to mention to you is um, you said that um, when you heard about ayahuasca, um, that you already in your mind said, okay, at some point I'm going to do this. And I just wanted to put out there the possibility, um, which I think is, is pretty, is just a known fact for those of us who work with ayahuasca, that she works with you in advance. So I'm wondering if a lot of the things that ended up happening after you made that decision 
um, was even including, you know, discovering your state and, and how it wasn't, in, you weren't in a good place and all of these things were, were part of that bigger experience you were going to have later. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I recognize in hindsight now that um, ayahuasca was present ever since the first time I heard of her. Yeah, once you make that commitment in your mind, it's pretty magical. Yeah, um, and it's interesting because you, you speak of the bigger picture, and um, I'll, I'll get to it, but you know, I've only had three ayahuasca ceremonies. They were all at the end of 2013 um, and beginning of 2014 over a a four-day span. And yet, she's with me all the time. And there's some times when I'll tell the story of my ayahuasca experiences where time totally collapses and I recognize the non-linearity of, you know, the past, present, and future and how they are all influencing one another and they're all interconnected and it'll be as though I'm simply right back in an ayahuasca ceremony and this will be in a totally sober state just through conversation or perhaps even going for a walk, let's say. I can relate Um, to that a great deal. (laughs) Sorry, could you repeat that, Rebecca? I can relate to that a great deal. This happens to me often, every day. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Me too. And I feel like, you know, we're not the only ones. Yeah, oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, um, so, you know, it was it was actually after um, when I when I left Burning Man, um, I I felt this, you know, this inspiration um, because some people will leave Burning Man and they'll experience sort of a, a post Burning Man depression. But for me, it ignited something inside my soul. It it allowed me to realize, like, hey, if this utopia can exist for even eight days in the desert in Nevada, that means it's possible. And I want to carry this vibration forth with me throughout the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And um, it was upon returning to Toronto that one of my best friends, Sid, who was actually with me at Burning Man, asked me, he's like, hey, Michael, do you want to go down to the Amazon jungle for New Year's this year and um, trek through the Amazon and then partake in ceremonies with the plant medicine ayahuasca? And he didn't know I knew anything about ayahuasca, but as soon as he mentioned it, I was like, I'm 100% in. I don't care about the details. Like, I'm committed and we'll figure it out along the way. And um, so he and I and another one of our friends, Carl, um, ventured down to Peru um, on Boxing Day of 2013, and we arrived uh to Iquitos, and then um, a now good friend of mine, Dan Cleland, who runs, um, he used to run Pulse Tours down in um, Peru that late, that has since become Arcana Spiritual Center, um, but he had been running expeditions throughout North or throughout South America for the past number of years and had developed a, you know, a more recent interest in uh, the plant medicine tradition of ayahuasca. So... When we arrived, we, we trekked through the jungle for about a week, which in and of itself was an incredibly powerful and transformative and grounding experience. You know, like the Amazon jungle, she feels infinite when you're inside of it. And mm-hmm. I mean, she truly is. And, um, and, you know, after trekking for a while, we arrived to the ceremonial grounds of Nue Reo and on New Year's Eve of 2013. And... You know, the shamans were speaking of ayahuasca as this intelligent female entity, um, and we were taking these flower baths, 
and allowing the flower petals to dry on our skin so that it would protect against dark energies and invite Mother Ayahuasca into us. And, you know, when the shamans were speaking of these things, I interpreted it as indigenous folklore. I didn't take it literally. <laughs> um, you know, I, I came from more of a, I was always open-minded and explorative and philosophical, but I also came from, you know, more of a scientific background. My dad is a specialist in internal medicine, so he's a Western medical doctor. Right. Um, so much more in the materialism um, realm. And, you know, like, and when the, when the shamans advocated the ayahuasca diet where you're not eating any spices, let's say, like I, I've studied nutrition extensively, so the idea of not, let's say, eating sea salt, it didn't make any sense to me because I was like, well, sea salt helps with hydration, and I'm not really sure what the benefit of this would be. However, I was open-minded enough to understand that, you know what, if, if these people have been practicing these traditions for hundreds, if not thousands of years, Surely they have their reasons, and if I'm going to fly all the way down to Peru to partake in their ceremonies, I, I want to respect their customs. Right. Um, and then on that, uh, that New Year's Eve, we did this yin yoga practice where we held poses for about three minutes, again, to an open up ourselves and invite the ayahuasca in. And during that yin yoga, a thunderstorm ripped through the jungle, and you just heard the rain colliding into the rooftop of our maloka, which was this beautiful um, circular wooden dome-like structure that was about 40 feet tall at its center and had um, mattresses on a wooden floor around the interior up against these uh, wooden walls with screens for windows and sort of like really thick thatch roofing. Um, and when this thunderstorm rippled through like you know you when you're in the jungle you really understand or when you're in the amazon so you really understand why it's called the rainforest because it's there's the storms are so powerful right. and when i saw the lightning flashing and the sun and heard the thunder booming i just was filled with these goosebumps and i recognized like holy shit i'm about to embark on one of the biggest rites of passages of my life like i knew then that this was something profound Mm -hmm. And so then at 8 p.m. on December 31st of 2013, we sat down for our first ceremony, and I was the, the first to drink amongst our group. And um, my intentions with the ceremony were to um, find some clarity on my life and my career path. You know, I, I knew that advertising wasn't the be-all and end-all for me, and the startup I was working on hadn't achieved the success that I had hoped it would, and I was trying to understand whether... That was a fear I needed to overcome. Did I need to work harder and push harder and see it through? Or was the startup's lack of success my intuition telling me that, hey, this isn't actually the right fit for you? Mm -hmm. And then I had a second uh, intention of retraining certain neuromuscular pathways in my body to alleviate uh, the symptoms of some uh, what I attributed to be past athletic injuries. So I had some discomfort in my left upper back that I thought was associated with an athletic injury. So I wanted to heal that. And um, I sat down and I whispered my intentions to the medicine after the shaman, Hermohanes, which translates to Geronimo in English. Um, he <laughs> offered me the cup and, you know, I, I drank it and it's a thick brownish liquid some people complain about the taste, but for me, it wasn't bad at all. It just tasted to me like a, a green smoothie. It was quite earthy, but without any berries or anything <laughs> sweet in it. Yeah. Um, you know, I wouldn't seek it out for the flavor alone, but, like, I, it's, I think it's more than tolerable. And um, 
so I went and sat down at my mattress and because I was, I was pretty well versed with, you know, um, psilocybin mushrooms and LSD and hallucinogenics, I, I realized I didn't want to just sit impatiently and wait for the onset of the effects. So I decided to meditate and reflect chronologically upon my year of 2013 because it had been the most teaching of my life. And, um, I was sitting there, and as I got to about the month of October and my reflection of my year, I felt this fire shoot up the right side of my body. And in that moment, I instinctively and sort of telepathically broadcast. It was though I thought aloud, and I said, Mother Ayahuasca, can you please give me five more minutes as I finish my reflection <laughs> on my year? I think it's important that I do so. And then I felt this voice and this presence respond by saying, yes, my child, take your time and let me know when you're ready. And then the fire receded down my arm. And Rebecca, I thrashed my head to the left and the right, and I'm like, who said that? Like, yeah. And I just realized, <laughs> like, holy shit, I'm talking with a plant right now, <laughs> yeah. which was not something I, you know, I didn't anticipate this. And um, so I, I quickly and intensely finished my reflection upon the year, and again, I instinctively and telepathically broadcast, okay, Mother Ayahuasca, I'm, I'm ready for you to come inside me, and I welcome you into my mind, into my body, into my soul. These are my intentions, and I'm open to whatever it is that you want to show me. I hope to learn a lot from you, and maybe you'll even learn something from me. And so, and I said, welcome, and then the fire ascended up my right arm, expanded across my torso filled down my legs and just enveloped my mind and my head. And it was the most incredible maternal warmth that I've ever experienced in my life. And then suddenly these purple and green beams of light that looked like aurora borealis, like the northern lights, emerge from the darkness inside of the maloka, and they're just waving there. And I am just baffled. I, I'm asking myself, is this a hallucination? Am I in some sort of other dimension? Or did the northern lights actually just jump inside of this maloka in the Amazon jungle? And, you know, to, so I wanted to test the light's objectivity. So I shifted my gaze over to the left. And I was like, okay, what, what's happening here? And then after about 45 seconds, I looked back and the purple and green beams of light had progressed in their movement towards me. And they were like a cloud that floats through the sky. They, they operated independently of my observational gaze. They were these objective entities. And mm -hmm. then the purple and green beams of light wrapped themselves around me. And I looked down and thought to myself, oh, my goodness, I am covered and bathing in the northern light. <laughs> and then they tilted me onto my left side and into the fetal position and it was the greatest maternal prowess I've ever experienced. And I recognized, like, oh, this is why they call her Mother Ayahuasca. Right. <laughs> and, you know, no discredit to my own biological mother, but this is the greatest mother I'd ever encountered. <laughs> and at that point, I, I thought I was actually going to fall asleep because I, in that moment, I, I, I realized, you know, if this is all the ayahuasca experience is, it's all I need right now. Like, this is so beautiful, and I'm happy if this experience lasts forever or if it ends right now. And then at that moment, Ermohanes, one of the shamans, starts singing, and he sings in Icaros, which, for anyone who doesn't know, are the medicine songs that the shamans sing and that they say are channeled from other dimensions and through the ayahuasca and are not of their own creation. 
And so our Mohanes starts singing, and it sort of sounds like so wah, so wah, wah, wah. <laughs> and as he's singing, these orange and blue shapes start emanating from his mouth and expanding to fill my perceptual field. And then Ricardo, the main shaman, he starts singing his Icaros, and these red, green, and purple shapes start emanating from his mouth and expanding to fill my perceptual field. And his shapes are combining with Hermohanes's. And then finally, Ercilia, the final and only female shaman, she starts singing, and a full spectrum of colors explodes from her mouth. More colors than I've ever seen before, more colors than there are in the rainbow. Uh, colors I don't have names for. And right. all of these shaman shapes were combining in the visual space while all of their songs were combining in the auditory space, together creating this visual and auditory symphony for me. And it, it created this massive cloud-like entity that occupied about 95% of my perceptual field. And I was receiving this telepathic impartation from the ayahuasca, and she was saying, Michael, this is a dimension, a realm, a way of perceiving reality that has always been accessible to you, that you are part of, that is infinite, but you just simply haven't been conscious of it in this human life for quite some time. And she explained, you know, this is where you come from. This is where you go. This is where you dream. This is where you die. This is essentially everything, and it's infinite. And then the purple and green beams of light that were wrapped around me pushed me up into this cloud-like entity and then severed behind me, sort of like an umbilical cord would be severed. And the ayahuasca said to me, go explore and don't worry, you're safe. If you need anything, I'm here and I I'm here to protect you. And it was just the mark of the most wonderful and loving mother, you know, supportive, but not at all suffocating. Right. <laughs> and so when I'm in this new dimension... So did you feel did yourself go somewhere and have the opportunity to, to f f explore in your mind as you, this person that's not your physical body? Yeah. So okay. I, I, was, I was very much aware of my physical body, of but course. I was also able to, for lack of a better term, astral travel. I think it was a little more than astral travel, but I was certainly able to navigate realms that didn't require my physical body to travel along with it, right. while still all, always maintaining some sense of awareness of my physical form. And I could quite easily toggle back and forth with intention between this new realm and the third dimension that we typically exist in. And when I was in this new dimension, or at least new to me at the time, these three what I call humanoid spirits floated onto the right side of my perceptual field. And they looked like these two and a half foot tall little people that had these dark bodies and were wearing cloaks and they were outlined in the most vibrant colors I had ever seen, like a neon light multiplied by a thousand. And one of the three beings was outlined in the most vibrant yellow, the other the most vibrant pink, and the other in the most vibrant orange. And all three of these little humanoids were female, and they were each articulating a different form of love. And I was staring at them, and I was just blown away, because Rebecca, they're as real, they were as real as me sitting in my office at home right now, and the walls around me, or if, there were, or if you were sitting with me right now here, they'd be as real as you. Absolutely. And I was just like, what on earth? Like, I had never had any notion of anything like this. And so I wanted to test their objectivity. So I shifted my gaze away from them over to the left. And 
I was just thinking like, oh my goodness, like what's happening? Am I hallucinating? Like where am I? What is this place? How is this possible? And then the three humanoid beings floated from the right side of my perceptual field over to the left. And they said to me telepathically, um, hey, aren't you interested in what we'd like to share with you? And I responded <laughs> sort of jokingly. I'm like, yeah, I guess I'm interested in what these beings of other dimensions want to <laughs> talk with me about. And so, yeah, each of them was articulating love. And I even had this notion at the time because I had a girlfriend back in Toronto at this time. And I was wondering if this like um, intimacy and love was some sort of act of infidelity. But <laughs> these beings assured me, they were like, no, no, this is more of like a grandmotherly and motherly type love for your understanding. So don't worry, your girlfriend's not going to be upset. And, um, and then I, I started interacting with these other beings that I end up calling mitos because they look a lot like mitochondria from uh, a biology class textbook for anyone that's familiar. And they were these six or seven worm-like tubes stacked on top of one another, and they would glow bright blue. And then you would see, I would see these bright white eyes that they had, and then they would glow bright red, and then I would see their bright white eyes again. And I recognized that they had this, these mitos had this relationship with the gut flora, with the microorganisms that exist inside of my intestines. Mm -hmm. And so I look down and I see my gut flora, which appeared to me as these little white Furby-like dolls. For anyone that remembers <laughs> what the Furby was, it was like this fluffy little doll. And they floated up from my stomach into this new cloud-like dimension. And there were like thousands upon thousands of them and they were expressing to me Michael your body is not just your own but it's a vessel for trillions of different spirits and beings and you want to make your body as welcoming as possible to the light spirits because we affect your thoughts your moods your behavior and so and in ways to make your body as inviting as possible is one they're like keep up with your meditation and they're like two play even more, like play, really have fun with your life because that'll make your environment more conducive to the happy ones of us and it'll make your life, it'll enrich your life. And then they also said, you know, keep up with your care for nutrition and health. And then they gave me these two very specific pieces of advice. They said, stop eating dark chocolate and stop eating pork. Oh, and wow. I, I was kind of like, oh, okay. I, I That's very pointed, huh? <laughs> yeah, very pointed. And, and I sort of asked them, I, I said, I thought those two things were healthy. And they responded, they can be, but not for you on your particular journey. Yeah. And I asked them why. And so they showed me for the entire month of December leading up to my trip to Peru, I would eat two or three dark squares, or sorry, squares of dark chocolate at around 4 or 5 p.m. each day before I would go train or play or dance or lift weights or whatever it was. And while I thought I was getting good sleep those nights, the ayahuasca and my gut flora showed me from this out-of-body perspective and time traveling, they showed me lying in my bed in the month of December each and every night that month that I ate the dark chocolate and I was wrestling around in my bed. I was, I was restless. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't getting these good sleeps. And I was like, okay, and I don't want dark chocolate anymore. And then similarly, they showed me um, experiences spanning from when I was three years old up until I was 26 of virtually every time I ate pork, particularly bacon, there would be this immediate lethargy that would follow and then this inevitable low-grade inflammation and lethargy that would persist for three to four days afterwards that I just hadn't been conscious of but that the ayahuasca showed me. 
Yeah, this and, is a very interesting idea that um, just for those of you who are listening, there's very specific things that are not good for individuals. So, you know, we come from a society that's all about blanket statements. You know, this is bad for everybody. And we see the contradictions now that there's the Internet and we have access to all this information. And there are just tons and tons of contradictions out there and it gets very confusing. And that's why it's really important to tap into your own intuition and, and to get sometimes some help of, of this extraordinary kind. And ayahuasca is not for everybody, but there are other ways for people to discover what's right for you as an individual. And it has nothing to do with this, you know, huge amount of information out there that supports one or the other. It's about you. We're also very, very unique. <laughs> Ab- absolutely yeah. and it, you know the, it's the same with anything right like yep. one's passions or one's profession we all have different you know dreams and desires so those blanket statements just aren't always applicable right. um, for nutrition or really most things so many things and and ayahuasca has taught me a great deal about that you know we we constitute an ecosystem in and of ourselves and uh, we have to respect that, that, that what's good for one animal is not good for this other animal. We all constitute our own unique little species of a sort. And we discover so much of this with the medicines. And it's like, wow, okay. So, and, and the judgments, you know, it's like it's, it's not about who's doing things right or wrong. It's like that's, that's their journey, you know, and, and here's something that feels good for us and that we are good with, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the greatest things that ayahuasca showed me is unconditional love. And, you know, now to the best of my abilities, I operate with unconditional love and treat each and everything as a sovereign being that's free to make its own choices. So I I won't judge somebody for, you know, their nutritional practices or whatever practices they are in their life, because that's that's their journey. It's not mine. Absolutely. you know, if they want my opinion on something and they're asking, like, sure, I'll share it with them, but I'm not going to judge them in advance. Right. So you and got you got a full internal um, exploration going on of your interaction with this food. <laughs> yeah. What happened after this? Yeah. So, well, what, what happened after this is that I started, you know, navigating the, these new realms and seeing that there were an infinite number of spirits infinite in degree, infinite in kind, and, and yeah, infinite in number. And it was like being in a rural area and looking up at the rural night sky where you see there are stars, but then you realize there are stars beyond those stars and stars right. beyond those stars and forever and ever. And that's what it was like navigating this realm. And it was so incredibly colorful. And the spirits and beings took on infinite forms. Like some of them looked like animals or plants or trees, snakes, birds, or microorganisms, or shapes that I have no name for because I just, I'm not sure that human beings have ever identified them before, and, um, or at least I hadn't. And, um, you know, what was interesting is that each of them was communicating love, and collectively all of these spirits were articulating love as a whole and showing me that the fabric of our universe is love, that it's the creative force behind all things, responsible for the Big Bang and every one of its predecessors, responsible for every work of art, every painting, every song, every written word, the propagation of species, the division of cells, the explosion of stars, it's the child who cries, the bird that soars, and the grass that grows through the pavement. It's the reason we die, it's the reason we cry, and the reason we're born, and it's infinite and all-encompassing. It's everywhere, it is you, it is me, it is all, it is infinite. 
and that love is truly the fabric of all things. And to be instilled with that deep sense of knowing, like an irrefutable understanding, a remembering more accurately, yeah, um, instilled me with a sense of peace that has existed with me ever since. You know, like it has fundamentally changed the way I am. And I, I oftentimes say that ayahuasca shattered my previous paradigm of reality and showed me something so far beyond my wildest imagination that now informs my entire way of being. Exactly. I feel that. Same with me. <laughs> yeah. I really invite you to see the world in a very different way and to approach it in a very different way. Yeah. yeah. So and this was your first experience. We're still on your first experience? Yeah, I mean, we're only about 45 <laughs> minutes or 50 minutes into the first experience. This is so wonderful. Uh, I yeah. Think I was concerned we wouldn't have enough material. <laughs> Go for oh, it. no. Yeah, I, I think the issue will be time. This um, is usually the case, yeah. So yeah, do continue. I, I mean, so, yeah, you know, like, there were a lot, a lot of wonderful things that happened throughout this ceremony, and one of which was that about um, a few hours into it, I don't know, three or four, um, I... I sort of, I came to my intention and the ayahuasca and I actively addressed it. And um, it was, okay, what do I do about this, you know, this career path, this startup I'm working on? And I saw myself as this white porcelain man that was bald and punching his arms and bursting upward through a swamp and deshackling from all these chains. And then the white porcelain man punched up and burst through another of the same swamp and deshackled more chains. And he did this 10 times through 10 of the same swamp, each time shedding more and more weight and more binding chains. And I was just hearing the name of my startup in my head and the ayahuasca was just showing me, like, just let go of it. Yeah. Just let go, you know. It's a cool idea. It could make a lot of money, but you're, it's not you. You're not passionate about it. And if you hang on to it, it's not going to come to fruition anyway. It's not going to flourish, and it's not going to fulfill you. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, okay, message received loud and clear. I, you know, when I got home, I walked, like, as soon as I got back, I called my business partner, and we, uh, I walked away from it. And, um, and, but in that moment, I sort of asked the ayahuasca, I'm like, okay, so uh, what next? And she said, Michael, you've always been a storyteller, and you've always wanted to be an author. And, you know, the only goal that I ever really had growing up as a, as a teenager and as a child was to write a book that I thought was awesome. Right. And I always thought it was going to be a great work of fiction. You know, Jack Kerouac was a big inspiration of mine, and I thought I was going to write some epic tale of, that was sort of semi-fictional or perhaps entirely fictional. Mm -hmm. And then the ayahuasca said to me, she's like, Michael, start writing, and I was, you know, I was, I was negotiating with her, and I said, well, you know, if I knew how to like, make a living out of being an author, I'd already be doing that, and she was just like, Michael, don't worry about the finances or any of that thing, just start writing and good things will happen, and then in sort of this cosmic wink, she said to me, I'm giving you a lot to write about. And oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I said, yeah, I said, ah, oh, you certainly are. So, you know, this first ceremony um, continued for hours upon hours, but it was, I went to sleep, and then the next morning I woke up, and I had this just insatiable desire to write so strong that there was no—I certainly didn't want to resist it, and there was no way that I could have. And I, shortly after sunrise, I made my way to this miniature maloca, 
which was this beautiful wooden dome-like structure um, at the edge of the jungle. And it was filled with all of this ayahuasca-inspired art, so much of it that looked like Pandora from the film Avatar, which is my favorite film. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was really interesting to go in there. And then I later found out that James Cameron and the whole crew of Avatar drank ayahuasca back in the late 80s or early 90s. Okay, well, this makes a lot of sense. By the way, yeah. I just thought I'd mention that um, one of the many, many conversations I've had with ayahuasca, the way that she teaches me sometimes is by asking me to um, to watch movies. Remember earlier we were discussing about how stories um, are an excellent teaching tool and that was a movie that she asked me to watch and the whole lesson in that movie was how she was because I was I had a lot of curiosity about about things about this life and and how it relates to to the one that I experienced through ayahuasca and she said it's just backwards so you know how in in the movie like humans take this other form and go into this magical world she says well that's kind of where we'll come from and then we take human form (laughs) and go into so it's just it's just reversed. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. The whole avatar concept beautiful. Um, to me is very real. Sure. It um, is. Yeah. And okay. So sorry. I'm going to have to ask you to hold on to that thought. Yeah. And we're just going to um, just break for a few moments and we'll be right back. African Musical Extravaganza 2017. On Saturday, August 5th, 2017, IGBO Traditional and Cultural Revival Foundation is bringing the second annual African Musical Extravaganza. Taking place at Mel Aspid Square in North York from noon to 11 p.m., African Musical Extravaganza 2017 will feature live performances by Kim Wheatley, Slim Flex, Nicole Abifuna, Prince Bami Del Bajoa, MC Bondi, Black Hole Blas and his Okiki band. The day will also feature an African fashion show, food, dance, and prizes. Join us for African Musical Extravaganza 2017 on Saturday, August 5th at Mel Lastman Square in North York from noon to 11 p.m. All are welcome. Okay, so we are back. Are you there, Michael? Yes, I'm here. Great. So we have um, about 15 minutes left of this show, Ayahuasca Talks on Radio Regent, and I just want to thank Radio Regent for allowing us to have this show. It's so important to have independent media out there, um, and it's helping to change things uh, because the storytellers are us instead of this very small group of people, and uh, it's opening things up in a great way. So um, let's think about the the stories that you really want to tell about um, the most extraordinary uh, insights that took place um, during this time with ayahuasca. Mm, yeah, so um, I'll, I'll just start by quickly saying that when I, when I went to this miniature maloka and I knew I was going to write a book, um, and what I thought might have been the most difficult thing to articulate, because as I mentioned, it was a new paradigm for me, and I didn't necessarily think I had the words to communicate the experience. Sure. And yet, when I sat down to write, it felt as though some celestial waterfall was flowing from the heavens and flowing into my mind and through my body and then through the pen and just spewing words onto the page. Oh, and absolutely. I've had this feeling myself. I was told to take pencil to paper, and I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. 
It's amazing. And for eight consecutive hours, I wrote 50 pages. And then I put the final period down and I closed my journal and said, holy shit, I got it. And then at that exact moment, they shut off the electricity on the ceremonial grounds for the evening. Mm. And, you know, I ended up having a second ceremony and a third ceremony. And they were radically different from the first and radically different from one another. Um, but after both, I also had this strong desire to write and the words were flowing through me. And I ultimately returned to Toronto, contextualized the ceremonies themselves amongst the longer narrative and then went through the whole um, publication process and everything and then released it about a year and a half later. And, um, you know, it's been one of the most wonderful things in, in my life because it became an Amazon bestseller, and but beyond that, what's most wonderful is the number of incredible relationships and connections that it has afforded. And people from all over the world will reach out to me, whether it's through email or Facebook, and they'll they'll pour themselves out to me, like they'll they'll share their intimate secrets. And initially, I'm always slightly taken aback. I'm I'm, I'm grateful, but I'm always surprised because I'm like, wow, I I can't believe this person's so willing to just open up to me. And then I realized, like, oh, I've, they've, they've read my book and I've opened up to them already. I just right. didn't realize they were reading my book. And that's a really beautiful thing. And then I, I start to see how all of these tales interweave amongst one another. And, I mean, the synchronicities that are abound are just truly astonishing. And at this point, no longer surprising because everything is synchronous and everything is interconnected. So all things are working together, you know. And, and I think that for any given moment to manifest all of time and space have to um, conspire to create that moment so everything is working in in uh, symbiosis and in, in union um, and you know I mean ayahuasca also um, so it instilled me with that deep sense of peace and unconditional love that I mentioned earlier and it also showed me that um, how deep my bond with mother nature is and how much I care about her and you know the fact that um, the same way that a human being can't really thrive inside of an unhealthy body, so too will our species struggle on an unhealthy earth because earth is, she's largely like our body, she's our home. I agree. And we talk about I, the environment as though it's something separate from us and it's not really, you no, know, it, and it's, and it what, what's happening with it is um, indicative of our relationship with our own bodies and with ourselves. We, there's a lot we need to contend with and need to heal. So, yeah, Absolutely. it's all happening kind of together. Yeah, and and so, you know, for me, it, it showed me that I knew upon leaving the Amazon that I was going to be working with the environment in some capacity, but I wasn't sure how it would manifest. And then five months later, in the month of May of 2014, I saw the sun and the moon out simultaneously every single day for a three-week period. <laughs> and at the end of 21 days, I made a note in my phone saying, I don't even know if this is astronomically possible, but I see the sun and the moon out at the same time every day, and I'm paying attention. And the very next day, my friend Charlie called me and said, Michael, I'd like you to come meet this clean energy company. I think you're going to be really interested in what they're doing. So I accepted his invitation. I went the next day to see their technologies, to hear their philosophies, and I realized, like, okay, this whole notion of an energy scarcity or the fact that we need to rely on non-renewables, like, those are total farces. We can totally live on 
on uh, renewable energy, and I got so excited, and then I find out the name of the company is Sun Moon Energy. Oh, and, great. You know, I get covered in goosebumps, and then it was, you know, I, I decided to invest my own capital, and then I became, I was a partner in the company by the next day, and, you know, we've been on a three-and-a-half-year journey of develop, or of um, providing the world with infinitely scalable clean energy and uh, it relies on magnetic energy generation, and we're getting nearer and nearer to bringing that to market. So it's um, it's a really wonderful thing to be a part of, and it's totally aligned with who I am. And you know, everything in my life now feels totally aligned with who I am. And my life now, like all, uh, largely, almost entirely, revolves around play. Everything I do feels like I'm playing. Even, you know, the work I do, like, it's not to suggest that I don't ever have difficult days or anything, but just the things I do and that I fill my time with and that I get to experience are so wonderfully enriching and energizing. And, you know, I don't, I never feel that sense of exhaustion anymore. I mean, you know, occasionally if I don't sleep or whatever, I feel tired, but it's this like light in my soul that just has been going ever since and it's it's largely it largely originates from um my experiences uh and encounters with ayahuasca and of course it just keeps building and building and catalyzing and accelerating and expanding all of this joy and this play and this love that i feel even though as i mentioned i I haven't returned to the plant medicine of ayahuasca since that time i've certainly explored other plant medicines and other psychedelics Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, a fair amount, and but I, I, and I feel as though I'm in constant communion with ayahuasca, and sure. um, it's not to suggest that there wouldn't be some time in the future that maybe I will feel her call again to go drink her, but I think right now she would sort of say to me like, no, no, like we're in constant communication, we don't need to have the ceremony right now, and you know what you're doing, so just continue on with that, and um, I, I, I just feel as though I'm, she's always with me, you know. Yep. Absolutely. I can identify with that a great deal. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. It's really wonderful. Um, I know that Guy mentioned um, another medicine that you did that I'm a little curious about myself, and we don't have much time. Um, but I think, well, you know, one of the things is I'm, I'm in a dilemma right now. I'm, I'm like, okay, do we launch that conversation that we have no time to talk, talk <laughs> about? <laughs> or maybe we should... Um, Talk about uh, how it, how it's affected. You, you've discussed very openly and, and well how it's kind of changed your life in terms of the things that you choose to fill your time with. How about relationships? Were there any relationships that it has specifically enriched? Oh, yeah. I mean, every relationship I have these days is just so incredible. Um, I, every person I meet in this world inspires me to an endless degree where I just, I feel as though every single individual I encountered is this wondrous enlightened being that has so much to offer me and I hope to offer them something as well if they'd like it. Um, it just, uh, this heart connection that I feel with every soul on this planet and every even inanimate object, I just feel so <laughs> much gratitude cool? and yeah. connection with it. Um, so I'm just so grateful for everything that, like, you know, my relationships are phenomenal. And, you know, some specific ones, for example, my relationships with my parents and my brother have improved a great deal. I learned certain things about them in the ayahuasca ceremonies and about myself and about ways that we can better communicate and interact with one another. And um, 
it's just yeah, I mean, my my relationships are amazing, and it's just everything in my life is uh, amazing. Um, That's great. Um, so the family, yeah. did, did you come back and do things differently with them, um, with your family? I know that that's usually a big area where relationships tend to transform in one way or another after ayahuasca. Yeah, I mean, totally. I, I, when I got back, I, I told my mom all about it on the phone for about three hours, and she just... <laughs> She listened quietly, and at the end just said, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard, and I'm so happy for you. And then my brother was the same. He was so enthralled. He's younger than I am. And then my dad, it was really interesting because I sat on a beach in Mexico with him. On a, My family was on a trip, and um, I, I was really you know, integrating the, the experience because it had only been about a month and a half since I had returned, and I hadn't spoken with him about it yet in detail because I was waiting for the right time. And... I got about three minutes into the conversation with him and I felt this resistance. I And I asked him, I'm like, do you even want to hear about this right now? And my dad was like, ah, oh, well, I don't know. You know, it, it just sounds sort of a lot like an acid trip. And I'm like, okay. Um, I'm like, well, it's not. And then he was like, yeah, I don't know. It just sounds a lot like an acid trip. And I was like, dad, um, I've done both acid and I've drank ayahuasca. You've done neither. So just like, you know, hear me out, please. (laughs) And and I said, you know, I recognize that you understand, because he's a doctor and he studied science and neurology and stuff. And I'm like, I recognize that you understand the mechanism that the hormonal secretion, certain neurotransmitters are being fired. However, you don't necessarily know the manifestation of those mechanisms in the subjective consciousness or the collective consciousness or in the entire universe. And I made this analogy that I originally heard from a guy named Nassib Taleb, who said that trying to understand consciousness through the study of neuroscience is the same as trying to understand the art of writing through the study of ink. Yeah, and, I know. It's I remember having the same dilemma. Like I was, science is this big ominous thing in the face of all of this spiritual splendor and wonder. And I asked about that of ayahuasca, and she said a lot of what you call science is a description. It's simply a description. You think you're really getting somewhere, and then you realize it's they're just describing things. <laughs> and it's like, totally. wow, this is true, you know, and I never even thought about it that way before. Enraged totally. scientists, by the way, when you say that, but somebody. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, I mean, what was great is that eventually, like, I started showing my dad um, I started speaking his language and oh, providing him resources that were a little more scientific. And within two years, he started sending me studies that Maps was providing. Mm-hmm. And he read my book and told me he thought it, he was so proud of me and thought it was the most wonderful thing ever. And, you know, I, he's not jumping at the bit to go drink ayahuasca himself, but I sort of have this feeling inside me that in a few years he will. Yeah. Um, and, and whether or not he does, it, it's okay, but he's certainly, he knows there's something powerful there. And, and that's awesome. And we, you know, and I can, and every person in my life I speak very openly with about it, including my family. That's so fantastic. I'm glad that we ended with that story because it's, it's truly an important one, our closest connections and how they change. And uh, anybody with, with intense curiosity tends to, to gravitate toward these things. So I'm going to sign off now and thank you so much for sharing your story with us, Michael. Oh, Rebecca, can I just add one quick thing? Quickly. Um, yeah, if anyone wants to hear of the other stories you're going to talk about, if you go to my website, michaelsanders.co, 
www.plantmedicine.co. There's lots of stories about other plant medicines and things of that nature. Fabulous. Thank you so much for your time. Okay. Thank you, Rebecca. All right, then. Bye-bye.